Thank you for listening to the Moral Revolution podcast. In this session, Chris Valentin will be sharing a message entitled, God's Most Amazing Creation. This is the first message in a three-part series. I, I really have felt recently, uh, probably in the last six or eight months, that I'm supposed to um, really just, um, just dig deep and find God's heart for women. And I think that's um, my next book. I think I'm going to write on women. If, if I learn more than I've learned to do this message, I'm going to write a book on women. <laughs> and so, uh, anyway, I have a woman. And uh, she's my best friend, and we've been together for 40 years this year. Yep. Get her done right there. And uh, you, probably, you all know this, but I met her at 12, and we got engaged at 13, which tells you that we had a, both had dysfunctional families, because I would never let my daughters even consider dating at 13. So um, I want to talk about women and um, how, what God's doing in this, in this season for women. And how many of you were here last Sunday night when I spoke? Um, and the message was, when God is silent. Okay, so this is going to have some pieces of that. How many of you were not here? You know, I don't want to shame you. <laughs> so, so I won't. Um, uh, turn to Genesis chapter 1, and this is kind of where it all began, obviously. And, um, I want to talk about um, God's most beautiful creation. Um, just just uh, in Genesis 1, in the first few verses, you know that God began to speak. In verse 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void. And that word formless and void means chaos. How many of you have ever had chaos in your life that you need God to speak into and may let his words become your world. And so and then God's, uh, God said, let there be light, and there was light, and the light, God saw the light was good, and it goes on like that, and you know that for five days, God speaks into creation, and, God, and whenever God spoke, his words created, and so his word became worlds. And, um, and so then um, it goes on in verse 24, and God said, let us bring forth every living creature after their kind, and he goes on to talk about that. Um, God made the beasts of the field, I'm sorry, the beasts of the earth after their kind, the cattle after their kind, everything that creeps on the ground after its kind, God saw that it was good. Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Um, just a, a little side note here, you were not made in the image of an ape, you were made in the image of God. Um, Yep, you were modeled after God. And then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness and let them rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, and over the cattle, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. Isn't it awesome that God gave you power over creeps? <laughs> just right from the beginning, God's all. You can rule over creeps. Just, just amazing. And I don't, I don't know how you rule some of these things. Like, you have power over the fish of the sea. You shall rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air. I've just been working on that. Seriously, just go out. I'm like, this is a no-poop zone right here. I just, I just create that over my car. And like, so far, it's like, you, bird, see this no-poop zone. I, I don't know how you rule a bird or a fish 
or even a creep. But God said we do. So I just believe it, and we're working towards that. Verse 27, God made man in his own image. You guys are a little, hmm, wonder if he's serious. God, God, yeah. I have power over my neighbor. No, joking. Okay, verse 27. God made man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. Everybody say male and female. He created them. And God blessed them, and God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. Subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the sky, over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I'm giving you every plant yielding seed that's in the surface of the earth, and every tree which is fruit yielding seed to be food for you, and every beast of the earth, and every bird of the sky, and to everything that moves on the earth which has life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. And God saw that all that he made, all that he made, and behold, it was very good. Everybody say very good. Very good. Yeah, God's commentary on everything he made for five days was that it was good. But when he made you, he said it was very good. And, and so I just want to begin by saying this, that first of all, that when God made Adam, he said be fruitful and multiply. When he made, when he made Adam both male and female. Now, for the sake of... Uh, so, teaching a little bit later on in the message, I want you to notice that he did not make Adam or man. It says the word man there is the exact word Adam. He, he didn't make man male and woman or man and woman. You'll notice he made Adam, man, male and female. And I want to make that distinction because you'll notice that Adam, when he was created, he was told the first thing that man was told, the first commandment in the Bible for man was to reproduce and subdue the earth, to rule, the, to rule God's handiwork, and that he was to, he said, be fruitful and multiply. How many of you realize that when God said, be fruitful and multiply, he gave you a sex drive? Okay, where did the rest of you get yours? Okay, let's try this again. When God said, be fruitful, Multiply. How many of you know that when God spoke, that he's the one who gave you the desire to procreate? That he gave you a sex drive? And the question is, what does it mean to have a sex drive? What does it mean? And I have a definition. I think it means that you want to have sex with somebody. <laughs> now, don't leave yet. Follow me, please. I, some people got up and left in the conference I did. I'm like, whoa, 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 wait, wait, wait. That's, don't put that on YouTube. Let me finish. See, part of this challenge is, is that when our young people hit puberty, and how many of you know that we're in danger of losing a whole generation? That when our young people hit puberty, and they, and they suddenly get this desire, they actually, you know, get the desire to be fruitful and multiply, we, we teach them to try to pretend that isn't happening. And I've watched people do crazy stuff, like pray, try to pray that, that thing out of them, or you know, if you read the Bible long enough, it'll go away. If you, if you pray enough, it'll go away. You need to get deliverance. Listen, you can't get deliverance from hormones. <sighs> okay, this is deep. When God said be fruitful and multiply, he gave you a sex drive. And a sex drive means you want to have sex with somebody. And the goal isn't to get rid of your sex drive. The goal is to learn to manage your appetite. And by the way, not just that appetite. But for the sake of, uh, of this message that we're to manage our appetite 
And Jesus talked to us about managing our inner world so that our inner world is clean and pure so that our outer world follows. Are you with me? It's not just about disciplining my it's not just about disciplining myself. It's about managing the kingdom that's within me so that the kingdom around me is an honorable kingdom. Because I live by virtues and values, and those virtues and values tell my eyes what to look at and my mind what to think. Selah. And by the way, for those of you that are single, when you get married, you will still want to have sex with somebody. And you'll still have to manage yourself towards one person. Well, this is a shock to some. You still will have to learn. Listen, getting married won't solve your issues. It creates others. <laughs> they come in little packages. Anyway, uh, <laughs> anyway, um, sorry that was so deep. But, uh, but the point is, is that when God, God's the one, that God's the one who said, "Be fruitful, multiply." God's the, you know, we, we, we attach shame to sex, and I think when we, as soon as we can separate those things, we're going to see pornography and all kinds of immorality broken off of people. Because you know, God could have had you lay an egg. I mean, he could have. He like, he's done it with animals. Like, here, lay an egg. And that's how you're born. But instead, he decided to create uh, intercourse. And, um, and, and God thought it was good. It was very good, he said. So, um, yes, this is good. What I'm saying is true. It's in the Bible. Two or three weeks from now, when I, as we go through this series, um, we're going to read some passages out of the Song of Solomon. And your children have this book. <laughs> okay, let's go on. God created man in his own image, and he created male and female, he created them. Now, uh, my, my point here is that God took uh, Adam, man, and he made him both male and female, and he told them to procreate, to be fruitful and multiply. Now, the reason why that's interesting is because when we get to chapter 2, God makes the statement that it's not good for man to be alone, and it's easy for us to think that, there was no, that, that Adam was all alone in the sense that he had no female, that he had no way to procreate. But right from the very beginning, when God created Adam, you'll notice from the inception of the idea of man, he was able to reproduce himself. And I want to tell you, and I, here's where I'm going. There's a difference between Genesis 1, God created man, male, and female, and God created woman and man. I want to propose to you that woman isn't just a female. Good, now I got you listening. So let's read on. Are you ready? So Genesis, uh, Genesis chapter 2, verse 15, Then the Lord took the man and put him in the garden. Oh, uh, sorry, we, we didn't get to create him yet. Uh, back here, um, verse 8. Then the Lord God planted a garden towards the east of Eden, and there he placed the man whom he had formed. Out of the ground the Lord caused every tree to grow that's pleasing. Oh, we still missed where the man was formed, but he was formed. It's awesome. It was really good. You should have read it. Verse 9. Out of the ground the God caused to grow every tree that is pleasing in the sight 
um, and is good for food, and every tree of, and the tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. And it talks about that there was a river that flowed through it, verse 15. And the Lord God took the man, and he put him in the garden of Eden, and he cultiv- to cultivate it and keep it. Everybody say cultivate it. And to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man, saying, From any tree of the garden you may eat freely, but from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you may not eat it, for in the day, everybody say in the day, that you eat it, you will die. Then the Lord God said, It's not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. And out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field. Um, to, uh, I'm sorry. He formed every beast of the field and brought them to man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called the living creature, that was his name. And man gave names to the cattle, to the birds of the sky, to the beasts of the field. For, but for Adam, there was not found a suitable helper. Let's stop right here and say two things. One is that God is looking for a suitable helper. And now, the word helper there in the Hebrew is used 19 times. So sometimes I hear people say, well, the woman was made to be a helper slash slave to the man. The word helper there is used 19 times, three times for woman, 16 times for God. And the word suitable is the word, means the word, it's the word opposite or corresponding. In other words, God was looking for someone who would be like the opposite of him who he could connect with. Are you following me? And so God looked around and he didn't find anybody who, who would work. And God gave, you'll notice that God formed the animals out of the dust of the earth. How did he form Adam? Out of the dust of the earth. But it says that when God formed Adam, that he breathed his spirit into him. So the animals were formed from dust. Adam was formed from dust, which is exactly why scientists say that our chromosomes are very closely related to the animal because we are made from the same raw materials, except for God breathed his spirit into man and never breathed his spirit, never breathed his spirit into animals. Are you following me so far? And Adam, you'll notice that God did not God did not speak animals into existence. He didn't speak he didn't speak humans into existence and he didn't speak animals into existence. He was silent when he formed the animals. He was silent when he formed Adam and when he formed woman. And this is interesting because when God speaks, worlds are created. God's words, they become worlds. Are you getting what I'm saying? If God would have spoke the animals into existence, in other words, if he would have said lion and lion would have been formed, tiger and tiger would have been formed, Adam could not have named the animals because Adam was co-creating with God. They were called creatures before Adam named them. Then they were called animals with great distinctions as Adam gave the names to the animals. He didn't call them Spot, Fifi, and Trigger. When he named the animals, he gave the animals the distinct DNA. In other words, God was forming and Adam was prophesying and they were co-creating. God was, okay. And it says there was no suitable helper for him. And let, me, let me explain what, what's happening here. God did not live inside of Adam. It says that God would come down in the cool of the garden and spend time with Adam. And here's the challenge. Adam was made to need God. Different than want God. Adam was made to need God. How many of you understand that you, that God is the head, Christ is the head, and you are the 
body. And can you imagine a body with no head? What I'm getting at is that you were made, we were created for God. We, we, have, we are not complete without God. We have a God hole in our life that without God, we, are, we don't just want God. That's awesome when we want God. We need God because when God designed us, he designed us under this, this pretense that we would need him to fill and be complete. So it wasn't that, God, it wasn't that, that, that Adam was lonely like he didn't have anybody. It's that he didn't have anybody who was a helper like God was a helper to him. He didn't have anybody who was actually a piece of him. So God said, let's, let's, let's go on. It says, um, so the Lord God, uh, so the Lord caused a deep sleep, verse 21, to fall upon man or Adam. And he slept. And then God took of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. And the Lord God fashioned, everybody say fashioned, into a woman the rib which he had taken from the man, and he brought her to the man. He brought her to the man. In other words, he put Adam to sleep, but he must have worked in a laboratory some other place, and then he brought her to him. And when the man, when he brought her to the man, the man said, This is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, because she's taken out of man. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and the two, and the two of them shall become one flesh. Okay, let me tell you what's happening. First of all, do you understand that what God did? He took the man and he put them to sleep. He says, listen, there's nobody suitable. There's nobody that's the opposite of you. There's no one who corresponds with you. There's not a helper in this place, in this garden. There is no helper that holds the place in your life like I hold. So when I'm not, in, when I'm not here, you're not complete. You long you long for me, and even if, I, even if I fill the garden with creatures, you still feel lonely. So I will create, I will take you, and this is what God did. He took Adam and he broke him in half. And he said, now you need, listen, now you have a suitable, you have a corresponding helper. You have somebody who you need like you need me because you are not a whole person without her. And Adam wakes up and he says this. Remember, they, they don't have a father or mother yet. God's their father or mother. And he says, listen, you are flesh of my flesh and bone of my bone, and you shall be called woman. What's he saying? Listen, he sees her and he's like, you're more than man. You're more than man. You're a whoa man. Whoa man. You're a whoa man. And then he says, and a fa listen, a man shall leave his father and mother and shall cleave to his wife and the two shall become one. Okay, follow me. See, the, the one became two. In, when God fixed the helper problem, he made one, two, and then God said, this is how you'll be complete. You will, you will marry and the two will be one and you will be whole again. Now you will need her like you need me. Now you won't be lonely. Are you following me? And Adam and God is silent when he fashions woman. So Adam, when, when, she, when he wakes up, Adam finishes, puts the final touches on woman by procreating with prophetic declarations. And you na your name shall be woman. 
and a man shall leave his mother and father. Who's leaving? Now, we know that they're both eventually going to have a mother and a father, right? I mean, a woman's going to have a mother and a father, and a man's going to have a mother and father. But who's leaving who? It says, the man, Adam, Adam shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his wife. What's the point? Adam immediately prophesies who the pursuer will be. He prophesies, I, listen, he prophesies, man shall be the pursuer, woman shall be the pursued. You were born to be adored. You were born to be pursued. Adam prophesied that. Adam's, God didn't say, well, okay, uh, listen, Adam, this is the way it's going to work. You're the male, she's the, she's the woman, and, um, and you'll pursue each other. No, he said, the man will pursue the woman. Are you following me? And I like this part. It says that God formed Adam. He formed him. Or, look good enough. Get her done. But it says he fashioned a woman. It's two different Hebrew words. He formed a man, formed animals. Get her done. Fashioned a woman. Women been into fashion ever since. <laughs> it's interesting that when God makes man, males, man, he makes them out of dirt. Just read the book. He made us out of dirt, guys. But he makes woman out of a rib. Like his second invention starts with Better material. <laughs> and after he creates woman, remember it says that he took Adam, put him to sleep, took out from his side the woman. After he creates woman, from that day forward, he never counts a woman in a crowd. You know, Jesus fed 5,000 men. It doesn't count the women. Why? Because if God counted women, he'd be counting them twice. Because God said that a man and a woman make one person. Because God took man and broke him in half. So if God counted women in a crowd, he'd actually be doing what most pastors do. He'd be counting the congregation twice. <laughs> you have to think through that. <laughs> It's interesting because we were taken, you know, woman was taken out of the side. Our bride was taken out of our side. And when Jesus died on the cross, you know, they ran a spear into his side and blood and water came out. And the bride was born from his side. And, you know, Jesus, and, and I mean, sorry, Adam prophesied that a man shall leave his mother and father and cleave to his bride, to his wife. And Jesus proclaimed, my father, my father, why have you forsaken me? And how many know that the Lord, that the, that the bride, the bridegroom cleaved to his wife, the bride? It's such a good word, actually. Much better than your response. Mm-hmm. 
Um, there's some interesting stuff that floats around the church. <laughs> um, people are like, do you know the most important decision you're going to make besides Jesus is finding your bride, finding your, your bridegroom, finding your man, finding your woman? And people say things like, you know, you just need to wait, and God will, you know, if God wants you to be married, he'll bring someone to you. It's funny, you don't, you don't do anything else that way. You know, you don't, I mean, everything else you knock, seek, and ask. But what, there's just this really weird religious thing, it's like, you know what, you're, you know, you're just supposed to just wait. I mean, I, have, has Jesus ever told you, oh, I better not say that, it's probably wrong. <laughs> What's wrong with pursuing the second most important person in your life? What's, important, what's wrong with coming to the school ministry so you can find your mate? School of supernatural dating. Here we go. No, you know, sometimes God tells us not to. It's good, I get it. Um, it's interesting. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7, Paul says this, I wish that all men were even as I, as I am, speaking of his singleness. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. And I say to every unmarried, to the unmarried and to widows, that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But they, if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it's better to marry than to burn with passion. Paul said this, he said, it's better I, listen, I would rather that you stayed single if you have a gift from God. The word gift there is the word charisma. It's the same word gift in 1 Corinthians 12 where it talks about the nine gifts of the Spirit. Paul's saying it's better if you stay single, but each man has his own gift. Each man has his supernatural. The word gift means the supernatural endowment from God. How many of you understand that when God created man, and woman that he created them to be together and God is the one who said it's not good for man to be alone so that God actually created people he actually created woman for man and man for woman how many of you understand that was the original design in order to operate in order to operate your whole life out outside of original design which it it can be done Paul just said it can be done it takes a supernatural gift from God are you following me in other words, if you're single, it's awesome. If you want to stay single forever, that's awesome. All I'm saying to you is, in order to remain single and to be whole, you need a supernatural gift from God. That's what Paul says. How do I know if I have a supernatural gift from God? Well, read on. It says it's better to marry than to burn with passion. The Message Bible says it's better to marry than to be sexually tortured. What's the point? The point is, how do I know if I have the gift of singleness? If I have the supernatural ability to stay single the rest of my life, and God is calling me just to focus on, on him, and he is my husband. He, you, you get the idea. How do, I, how do I know if I have that? Well, that's pretty simple, really. You know, you don't really have to be a genius to follow Jesus. We should have a, a group called Geniuses for Jesus. But you don't have to be a genius to follow Jesus. How do I know... If I have the gift of singleness, I don't have a sex drive. He's, Paul says, it's better to marry than to burn with passion. 
He said, listen, if you're burning with passion, I'd rather you marry. Are you following me? In other words, and that's, that's, the, that's the sentence after each man has his own gift. You have a supernatural gift to be single? Awesome. Be single. The rest of your life, let, let Jesus be your husband. But if you don't have a supernatural gift, then marry. And it's good. Everybody just help me. Just say, marriage is good. good. Okay, that's good. That's that's good. It's okay to pursue a mate. It's holy. This real religious weird thing drives me crazy. What are you doing here? I'm looking for a man. Oh, you need to find Jesus. I found him. Now I'm looking for a man. <laughs> Can you imagine people, let's like, I, I mean, and I, I do understand there's seasons, and please all fix this. Don't walk out yet. I mean, it's, Sometimes it's important to fast. Do you agree? Bill just called a 40-day fast, which I gain weight on. You... I mean, there are times when God calls us to fast food. Not fast. <laughs> Let me try this again. There are times when God calls us to fast eating food. But wouldn't it be weird if you said... You know what? I just don't want anything to take the place of God in my life, and I'm just not going to eat anymore. Food is just getting in my way. I mean, that'd be weird. That'd be weird. You know why? Because you were created to need food. It's in original design. Food is not... Food doesn't get in your way of God. (laughs) For some of you. (laughs) I know, you're looking at me, you're like, dude... You have no place to talk. <laughs> you understand what I'm getting at? It's like some people are like, I just, I'm just seeking the Lord. Does that mean you don't eat? Well, yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm not eating for 40 days. Okay, great. Does that mean you don't eat for five years? That would be weird. But people do that with finding their mate. They're like, I, I'm just seeking God. I'm like, all right. I, 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 don't, I don't want a woman in my life because she'll distract me from seeking God. Well, maybe. Or maybe you'll have the other half of yourself and you'll be thinking clearly again. Maybe the other side of your brain just isn't arrived yet. You're like, one will chase a thousand and two will chase ten thousand. And 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 maybe maybe Solomon was right when he said, He that finds a wife finds a good thing and finds favor with God. How many of you like to have favor with God? Well that the proverb said that that's in a woman. Well, I just want her being single. Awesome. Remain single the rest of your life. God bless you. And if you have the gift of singleness, it's totally awesome. Paul said that. But my only thing is, like, let's bring a little balance here because being married rocks. 
And, and if everyone was supposed to be single, you wouldn't be here. Well, I just think that everyone should be as me as I am. Paul's saying, well, that, that's awesome. Who's going to procreate? These are just thoughts I'm having. Okay, so let's move on, shall we? Turn to Genesis chapter 3. You know, I really do um, understand, and I know that this is probably going to get emails. I really do understand that there are people who are called to be single. I, I, I want to just make sure that my emphasis today, which it's very difficult to preach a balanced message in one message, that my emphasis today doesn't, doesn't honestly hurt a whole bunch of people. I understand that there, that there are people who are called to be single and that God really has spoke to you. And, and listen, the Bible really does honor that. And I want to make sure that in my, in my joking that I'm not taken away from something that God's called you to. Secondly, all of us were single for a season. And sometimes those seasons are a challenge. How many of you would say amen to that, even some of our, us that are married, that those seasons were a challenge? And, and a message like this is like, hey, I'd like to be married, and here I am, you know, I'm 20, I'm 30, I'm 40, I'm 50, I'm whatever, and, you know, I'd love to be married, and it hasn't happened to me, and all you're doing is stirring up, there's something wrong with me. No, I'm not trying to, listen, there's nothing wrong with you, and God has you married later in life, that's totally awesome. All I'm trying to do is say that original design was that man and woman should be together. That's all I'm saying. All I'm trying to do is honor what is becoming dishonored in our culture. That's all I'm trying to do. And cohabiting is not marriage. Cohabiting is two people staying independent. God wants you not just to marry, but he wants you to, mer to merge. Amen. I'm convinced that there's a lot of people who get their certificate and they still don't really marry. Because marriage means that you become one. And so, did you get that? Some people mistake the wedding for the marriage. Well, I'm married because I had a ceremony. But did you actually ever merge? Did you become one? Because, see, it's in becoming one that you become whole. Okay. It is really good. What I'm saying is right, too. It's intense up here, but it is good. Um. Okay, where are we for time? Oh, we're good. 49ers should have won by now. Um, <laughs> verse 1 of chapter 3. The serpent was more crafty than any beast of the field which God had made. And he said to the woman, Indeed, has God said, You shall not eat from any of the trees of the garden. And the woman said to the serpent, From the, tree, from the fruit of the trees of the garden we may eat, but we shall not eat from the fruit of the tree in the middle of the garden, which God said, We shall not eat it or touch it, or we will die. And the serpent said to the woman, you shall not die. And you know the story. I just, uh, just want to make one note here. It's obvious and evident that woman is already ruling with her man because the serpent doesn't come to a servant. He comes to a leader. And so she's, she's playing role as leader in the garden. Now, when later on, and you know the story for the sake of time, that God comes in the garden and says, Adam, where are you? And you know you're lost when God can't find you. <clears throat> and they, you know, they were both naked, and that was God's original intent, that God would hang out with naked vegetarians in the garden. 
and I'm so glad the New Covenant didn't include that. <laughs> I like meat, and I need clothes. Verse 14. Um, in verse 14, the Lord begins to curse the serpent, curse the woman, and curse the man. And you know the curse over the serpent. Um, it, it includes this, verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman. And, everybody say and. Between your seed and, your, and her seed. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now, obviously, this, the, the second part of this curse is actually, uh, and, this, and this enmity is between Christ. He will bruise, he will bruise, you will bruise his heel, but he will crush your head. Obviously, a prophetic declaration about the Christ who will come. But did you notice the first part? It says, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and her seed. My, my, my point is this. The devil's warfare is not primarily against men. It's against women. And who is the most oppressed people group on the planet since the beginning of time? It's women. Why? Because when Adam and Eve fell, God put enmity between the woman and the serpent, not between the man and the serpent. Listen, Adam's curse was that creation would work against him. Remember, you'll, you'll till the ground, but it'll yield thorns and thistles. But Eve's curse was that the devil would be against her. Okay, let's go on. Verse, to the woman, he said, and I will greatly multiply your pain in childbirth. In pain you shall bring forth children, yet your desire will be for your husband. And get this, and he will rule over you. Here's my point, guys. A man ruling a woman was part of the curse. It was not in, it was not in original design. When God created a woman, and when he created man, he gave them equal dominion, and it's obvious that, that Eve had dominion in the garden, or, the, or the, the, the serpent wouldn't have come to her. He knew she had dominion. He knew that she was God's most beautiful creation. He comes to her because he knows she has authority. It was after the curse that she gets put under a man, and part of the curse is you're going to have pain in childbirth, which is bad. It's bad, I get that. But the worst part of the curse is, and the man will rule over you. And my question is this, when Jesus died on the cross, why is it that only half the, the race, only half of, of, of humanity got released from the curse, but the other half still has to be under it? That doesn't make sense to me. Jesus freed women as well as freeing men. Some people say things like, well, Adam was created first. That's why he has authority over woman. Well, Adam, animals were created before Adam. I don't see Yogi telling. <laughs> Actually, I've seen some dogs that are definitely ruling over people, uh, dragging people down the street. Peter wrote this in 1 Peter. And this is so powerful. He said, you husbands, in the same way, live with your wives, this is 1 Peter 3, 7, live with your wives in an understanding way, 
as with someone who's weaker, since she is a woman, and show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life, so that your prayers will not be hindered. Now, this is the way most of the church reads this verse. You husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way. As someone who's weaker, <laughs> since she's a woman, and show her honor and fellow error of the grace of the life so that your prayers won't be hindered. That's how we read that verse. But I'm going to tell you something. That if you understood the context of that verse, and I'm not talking about just the context of the, of the Bible. If you understood the context of culture, you would understand what part of this verse is actually being shouted. What Peter's being told isn't that woman's weak or like, well, she's not very intelligent, you know, you just give her a little break. That's not what he's saying. He's saying what's obvious. He's saying, listen, just because you can beat her up, just because you are physically stronger than her, doesn't mean that you shouldn't treat her as a fell, fell error of grace. And by the way, if you don't, God won't hear your prayers. Now, do you know when he wrote that? When Peter wrote that, he wrote that in a, in a pre-liberated Afghan culture where women weren't taught they were considered possessions. They, were, they didn't get to go to school. See, until August of 1920, a woman could not vote in America. Do you understand? In your grandfather's day, or your great-grandfather's day, a woman, I'm not saying she couldn't run for political office, she couldn't vote. We look at the Bible and we're like, oh, the Bible is so restrictive. No, the Bible is the most empowering document ever written before the 20th century in history for women. The most empowering document ever written in the history of the world before the 20th century. When Peter said, if you don't treat your wife like a fellow heir, God isn't going to hear your prayers, that was shocking. He wrote that to a, to a culture that would have absolutely been completely and totally floored that God's not going to answer my prayers because of my possession. And then God goes, she's not your possession. She's a joint heir. And if you don't treat her like that, don't bother praying because I'm not going to listen to you. I'm just reading this book, and by the way, I really recommend it. George Bush's uh, new book, Decisions. It's a great book, by the way. It, it, whether side the political venture on, it's still a great book. I mean, to see how, how presidents make decisions, it's really insightful. But he was talking about the, uh, Afghanistan and how when we went into Afghanistan, the first elections, 12 million people showed up for the election. Seven million of them were women. Seven million women showed up. And the Taliban put out a message and they said, if anybody votes in this election, if any woman votes in this election, we will behead them. And at the risk of losing their lives, seven million women lined up to vote. Can you imagine that the Bible was written in the, in the pre-Afghan mindset? In fact, Jesus makes this statement. It's in the Bible. It's in Matthew 19, verse 5 through 10. And this is where he tells them, listen, uh, Moses gave you a certificate of divorce, but it wasn't like that from the beginning. Jesus is telling the guys privately. 
It wasn't like that from the beginning. It says, from the beginning, a man and a woman were joined, and they were one flesh. And Peter, I think it was Peter, actually now I'm questioning, one of the disciples pipes up and says, well, who can accept this? I mean, who can, who can do this, we can only stay with one woman thing? You mean we can't divorce? Then, he said, then, then the, the disciple makes this statement, it'd be better to not marry then. And Jesus said, well, that might be true, but not everyone can do that. In other words, they were so accustomed to, I get married. These are believers. I get married, keep her for a while, get rid of her, get somebody else. That was not just a 50% divorce rate. That was the mindset that that's what you did with your possession. You married her, have some kids, dump her, find someone else, marry her. And when Jesus said, hey, you can't do that anymore. The only, you know, Moses let you divorce, but that's not the way it originally was. The disciples are like, who can accept this? You mean we got to stay with one woman? When Jesus is talking to the woman at the well, they are shocked because he's speaking to a woman. And they're like mumbling among themselves like, uh, looks like a woman to me. <laughs> you, are you, you're seeing what I'm getting at. Like, this is the... This is the <laughs> This is the context of the Bible. This is the, this is the culture. No, not the context of the Bible. This is the culture the Bible is written into. So yeah, you look back, you look back, you know, 90 years after women got free in our country, and you go, so restrictive. But you step back into the culture and read that book. And you're going to find out that a lot of people took a lot of heat for that book. Because women were actually following Jesus around. He was blessing them. They were supporting his ministry. And the first evangelist was a woman. When Jesus rose from the dead, Mary is the one who Jesus said, go tell everybody I'm alive. <laughs> I like this. Okay, well, we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna land here. In just about half an hour. <laughs> to an hour and a half. No, we're almost done. Turn to 1 Corinthians chapter 11. I, I, I want to finish with one last concept. And this is, this, uh, this is going to go on for a while, guys. So when you hear me preach, then I'm going to preach. If you don't want to come, you might want to just listen to it on podcast. <laughs> In a sincere way, I feel like there's a Mordecai spirit on us. I feel like, guys, I'm talking to you. I feel like there's something on us, like... In, there's that, that fear, that insecurity is breaking off of us. And I, I feel like there's something that just says, go, girl. <laughs> you were made to stand in the presence of a king. Just go for it. You can do this. And, you know, I, I, I want to tell you that religion, I'm, I'm using religion in a negative way. Remember, that enmity was between the woman and the serpent. Every religion that I can think of outside of pure Christianity, oppresses women. You want to stop the Muslim movement that's sweeping across Europe? Just empower the other half of our army. The Afghan women told you what they think about being disempowered. Seven million of them went to the polls at the threat of their life. There's a whole army of people out there that are waiting to be unshackled. I'm telling you, you want to stop a Muslim movement? Unshackle our women. Yeah. 
Just let women, just let women all over the world know. I'm talking about Muslim women, Buddhist women, just you know, atheist women. Just let, just let women know. Hey, you were made. You were made to rule and reign. There is no male and female in Jesus. By the way, you were made. Listen, we should be the most empowering people in the world for women. I'm telling you, if we start telling the truth about women, people are going to flock to our congregations because they're going to hear what they were born for. You want to stop religion? Empower women. Always you will find every religious organization, I'm talking about religious organization, I'm using religion in, the, in a negative way, will, it, you look, it will always oppress women. Why? Because enmity is between the devil and the woman. First Corinthians 11, I love this. Be imitators of me, just as I am of Christ. Now I praise you. Now I praise you because you remember me in everything, and you hold firmly to the traditions as I deliver them to you. But I want you to understand that Christ is the head of every man, and man is the head of every woman, and God is the head of Christ. Every man who has something on his head while praying or prophesying disgraces his head, but every woman who, who has her head uncovered while she's praying or prophesying disgraces her head, for she is one and the same with the woman who has her head shaved. If a woman does not cover her head, let her also have her hair cut off. But if, but if, it, disgraces, but if it is disgraceful for a woman to have her hair cut off or her head shaved, let her cover her head. For a man ought to not have his head covered, since he is the image and glory of God. But the woman is the glory of man. For man does not originate from woman, but woman from man. For indeed man was not created for woman's sake, but woman for man's sake. Therefore the woman ought to have a symbol of authority on her head because of the angels. Now, we usually stop right there. Except for there is a next verse. However, everybody say however. however. In the Lord, neither is woman independent of man, nor man independent of woman. As a woman originates from man, also man has his birth through woman, and all things originate from God. Okay, now, I want to I I finish with a few thoughts concerning these verses, because um, I just shared um, recently at a conference, and I, shared, I wasn't actually all, all the stuff I shared with you today, but as soon as I got done, a man immediately came up to the front row, and he said, you have dishonored men. It's an opening statement. And I said, um, what's that? He said, he said, a man has authority over a woman, and you have not acknowledged that. I said, okay, awesome, we're going to disagree. So he goes, oh, you're telling me you don't want to talk about it. I said, no, I'm warning you that we're not going to agree when we're done. <laughs> he said, well, I don't understand your point. I said, authority and dominance are not the same thing. I said, when Jesus... So uh, we went to Ephesians chapter 5. In fact, we're just going to read that really quickly because I want to. Listen to this. Ephesians chapter 5 says this. Wives. Oh, first we had, we had to go to the previous verse, which I think is always missed. Uh, verse 21. Be subject to one another in the fear of Christ. Okay, Selah. Be subject to what? One another. Okay, next verse. Wives, be subject to your own husbands as to the Lord. Remember, the previous verse said that we were subject to one another. Okay, now, 
For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is also the head of the church. Okay, so the husband is head of the wife. How? What's that look like? Well, the same way as Christ is head of the church. Got me? Okay. He's, um, the head, uh, um, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He himself being the savior of the body. But as the church is subject to Christ, so also wives ought to be their own husbands and everything. Husbands, love your wives as Christ also loved the church and gave himself, what? Up for her, so that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of the water by the word, that he might present to himself the church in all her glory, having no spot or wrinkle or any such thing, but that she would be holy and blameless. So husbands ought to love your own wives as you love your own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. No one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes and cherishes, just as Christ also does the church, because, he is, because, because we are members of his body. For this reason, a man shall leave his father and mother, shall be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is great, but I'm speaking in reference to Christ and the church. What's the point? The point is, is that you, listen, if man has authority over woman, then my question is, and this is what I said to the man, he said, a man has authority over a woman. I said, the question isn't, does he have authority? The question is, what's he do with it? He said, what do you mean? I said, Jesus has authority over the church. We just heard that. But what did he do? He raised us up and seated it with him in heavenly places so that we co-reign with him. He used his authority to empower us. Christ is the head of the church, and what did he do? He died for us so that he could empower us. And what are we commanded to do as husbands? Listen, do what Christ did for the church. What did Christ do? He raised us up and seated us with him, not seated us down below him. Listen, he didn't seat us in heavenly places. He seated us with him in heavenly places. So that we would what? Oh, listen, I'm going to read this to you just because you're... Listen to this. For we are being, all who are being led by the Spirit... Are, these are sons of God. We have not received the spirit of slavery, leading to fear again, but we receive the spirit of adoption as sons. We cry, Abba, Father. The spirit himself testifies with our spirit that we're children of God. And heirs also, heirs of God, fellow heirs with Christ. Fellow heirs with Christ. Jesus had authority over the church. What did he do? He used his authority to exalt the church. What do men do when they have authority over women? They use the authority to dominate the woman. That's the world's way, Jesus said. God's way is you use your authority to exalt the women. You use your authority to say, hey, baby, I have authority in this place. Come sit next to me. Come rule with me, baby. You were designed to rule with me. I have a, Listen, Jesus gave me authority, and he said, I can, let, I can empower anybody I want, and I choose you to sit with me in heavenly places. You can come and sit with me on my seat at the house. You can sit in my chair. You can use my car. You can take it whenever you want. As a matter of fact, it's half yours. Because the truth is, I'm only half a person without you, baby. So you just come and sit on a seat with me so we can do this thing together. I think that men are in a huge test. When God gives you authority, what do you do with it? What do you do with people that you're stronger than? And listen, I just want to be really clear. Like, a man can't have a baby. But the truth is, is the church has been a men's club forever. Listen, 
We, our country's 200 years old, and we've never had a male president, even though 50% of our population are women. Female. What did I say? Male. Female. We've never had a female president. If you looked at all the leaders in history, how many females do you remember? Listen, you remember their names because there's just a few. Men have dominated, not used their authority to promote, they've used their authority to dominate, and it's become a man, no, it's been a man's world. And so women have done really well at submission. Good thing they didn't get nuclear weapons first as a gender. I mean, men are running around. Women need to submit. Dude, they've been submitting for 6,000 years. It's time for us to do the love thing and empower them. That's a good word. I like it. I'm right about it, too. Religion's killing us. I'm telling you, it's killing us. We put on the religious glasses, and we read the Bible with them, and we come out with stuff that isn't being said. We come out with stuff that isn't being said. We take three or four scriptures that are said over 6,000 years, and we use them to do what we've always wanted to do, and that is be in charge and make sure that half the planet has no authority. And it's funny that Jesus would actually call us the bride of Christ. He said, listen, I've given you all authority. I put everything on your feet, and you're called the bride. That's strange. Well, I understand we're sons of God and we're the bride of Christ, so we were born to be cross-dressers. I get that. (laughs) That was a joke, by the way, over webcast. Kidding. I don't believe in cross-dressing. Okay. You guys... Guys, I'm talking to the guys now. Probably not any guys in here because we are all men who are not afraid and we're not insecure and we are so powerful that we empower our women. But for other people that we know. (laughs) Transition's hard. Some of you are like, you know, we get along great. You know, it's pretty easy to never have an argument as long as only one person's thinking. We've never had an argument. Yeah, well, that's because she hasn't had permission to think. I'm not saying she can't think. I'm saying that she, there's no structure. You don't let her co-reign with you. We're a team. Yeah, well, you, you, you make the decrees and she does the work. That's not called teamwork. That's called slavery. So I actually think that Jesus wants to release his whole bride so that there are no male and female in Christ and that in, in this way that we become gender blind. I think that there is a greater prejudice against women. In fact, it's socially acceptable to be prejudiced against a woman, even in our culture. 
especially in church. We go, Danny and I, we do this all the time. We go, um, do you have uh, women in leadership? And they're like, oh, yeah, they sing in the choir. They sing in the choir. What, are you doing that to keep them quiet? Or? I'm working hard at Bethel to begin to empower women. When I say begin, I think we've been doing it for 30 years, but not in the, not in the way that we're trying now. I think we're really like getting this revelation. Like we brought Sherry Silk onto our team. Benny Johnson, God can see that he's raising her up. Aren't we excited about that? And, and, um, and Kathy and, and Teresa, and, and we just, and I know I'm missing tons of, 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 our, of our gals, but we're just like, we've just been saying for really proactively for about three or four years, go girl, you can do this. Come on. And, uh, and so if you're a woman, I'd like you to stand up. And um, what I'd like the men to do is I'd like the men to put their hands on your shoulders, specifically on your shoulders. So stand and put your hands on their shoulders. And we're going to pray right now, and we are going to commission our women. Did you notice that there's a lot more women in church today than there are men? Holy Spirit, we just release right now a new mantle over our women. Lord, that you would just release them to be co-heirs of the same grace. That they would have permission to sit in heavenly places with Christ and with us. They'd have permission to dream and to think and to, and, and to envision and to be powerful. Lord, we just release them right now in Jesus' name into a new level of taking dominion over the planet. Lord, we, we release them to rule and reign. We release them to, into original design. And Father, we pray today for marriages, that, Lord, that you would heal marriages and that, and that married people would merge. And Lord, we pray for the single people among us, those that have called to be single the rest of their lives. Lord, we, we thank you for the charisma gift that you've given them. And we acknowledge it and we honor you as, as fellow heirs of this same promise. We honor you that that, that that charisma gift makes you whole, makes you complete, that you can operate outside of divine design because supernaturally God has completed you. And he has become, become your husband. He has, become your, he has become the person who completes you. And Lord, we pray for those who are single who have a desire to be married and who are those who are ready. Lord, we just pray that their prince, their princess would come along. Lord, that this would be a season. This would be a Song of Solomon season for them. And Lord, that there would be, there would be a sense of being attracted and drawn in a healthy way, not in, not in a worldly way, not in all the stuff that we know that happens that, that in some ways the church has responded to. Lord, but we pray in a healthy way that you would begin to connect people with their life mate, in the name of Jesus. And Lord, that, that, that dating and courting would take on a healthy perspective. It wouldn't be this dysfunctional, uh, immoral kind of thing that people do to whatever, anything besides actually find their life mate. 
Lord, we pray that you would create a healthy, um, that you would give us a healthy culture and a healthy plan of how people can meet one another and grow together in a fellowship way. Lord, we pray for purity to be released again, first through the church and then into our communities. That the church would model healthy relationships. It would model healthy courtships, dating, healthy, that it would be healthy, that we could model what you have planned from the beginning. And Lord, we just, we bless, Lord, we, we pray for any hurts that have been, that are on our women, there are people who are watching by iBethel TV, that uh, especially hurts that have been brought about by men. Oh, we pray for forgiveness. As men, we pray for forgiveness. We, we ask we ask you, women, to forgive us. For Most of us were ignorant. We didn't know. We weren't taught. Our fathers didn't know. They didn't teach us how to honor you. They didn't teach us how to behave. They didn't teach us how to, how to adore a woman. And so we, we, used our, we used our physical strength to dominate rather than to empower. And please forgive us for oppressing you and for agreeing with the devil's plan to destroy you. We hope you have enjoyed this session. For more information, please visit our website at www.moralrevolution.com.